0: Hi, this is Talia from Untold Times, and today I'm without Fionn, because she's been writing an exam this week, but I've been joined by two, well one very special guest and one more mediocre guest, and I think if you'd both like to introduce yourselves...
1: Sure. I assume I'm the mediocre guest, but if I'm a special <laughs> guest, that's, uh, that's very welcome uh, as well. Uh, yeah, my name's Dr. Simon Slight. Many of you listening will hopefully know me from teaching and lecturing and so on. Um, and I'm delighted to, to be here today.
2: No, I'm definitely the mediocre guest <laughs> by far. <laughs> I'm, the, uh, I'm Jason. Hello, everyone. I'm president of the History Society. Um, very happy to be here today.
0: I think it's been nice to actually have Jason here too because it's nice for him to see how well what the process has been with recording mm. and today's actually our last episode so I'm happy that we've got some guests today and we've also got Mariam here sitting in the corner <laughs> um, but she just wanted to come and listen. Uh, but yeah, today we're just going to be talking to Simon and Jason about kind of everything to do with history and and particularly Simon's journey through history and yeah, I don't know if you'd like to start us off with background, anything about you.
1: Sure. How far would you like me to go back?
0: Maybe where where did you where did history come into your life?
1: Okay. Well, I guess as with many students, there's often an influential teacher mm. uh, that we can look back on with regard to our school days, who who really sort of. Um, fanned the, 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 the flames of interest in history as a subject for me that would probably be one of my history teachers, Mr Pemberton mm. uh, at uh, Spaulding Grammar School where I was uh, educated for my secondary schooling and sixth form studies uh, and he had a very interesting approach to teaching history in that he would lend out his own books uh, and let you kind of read at your own pace and ask questions, it was kind of quite informally structured. Uh, and this was very different to the approach taken by the other history teacher for our, our GCSE and A-levels, Mr Tunnycliffe, who was also excellent in his own right. Uh, but Mr Pemberton taught British history and Mr Tunnycliffe taught European history. Those two things were considered quite separate. And Mr Tunnycliffe was of the older school that if you could think of the five points that he had thought were relevant for the essay, you would be marked accordingly. Mm-hmm. Whereas um Mr Pemberton was a bit more kind of free thinking in that regard. So I, I, I should say that he he was a strong influence uh on me. Uh probably being taken around to historic sites by relatives as a as a young boy was probably also somewhat shaping. I remember going to an Anglo-Saxon recreated historical village with my aunt, for example. Um, but also, I was similarly interested in geography, which we might come back to later. Mm. So I was similarly visiting landscapes with my father, who was a geography teacher. Right. And he also taught me geography at school uh, for my A-levels, which was an interesting experience. <laughs> good thing he was a good teacher, because it would have been agonising otherwise. Um, So those two interests were kind of probably my central ones at school.
0: Okay. Interesting. I think I also had a very influential teacher at school. I, in junior school, I was doing horribly because we didn't have history. We had social sciences and it was awful. I was doing terribly and I was so nervous for high school. And then I was gifted Miss Knight and she was like an icon. She dressed like high heels, always beautifully dressed and just everybody was so immersed in her classes and I loved being taught by her. And I mean, that's, that's where I began my love of history. I don't know about you, Jason. No,
2: I actually, all of my teachers in my secondary were the type of like, hear the points, memorise these points. You'll go far, you do really well on your exams. Um, I only started finding it really interesting when I was doing actually music and I was studying at A-level um, but the teacher that I had, um, Mr. Wilson, I think he's got a professorship in some conservatoire now. Um, but he really liked just talking to us about the story behind the albums. So mm-hmm. we were talking about Duke Ellington, Black, Brown and Beige. And some sort of monumental civil rights movement at the same time came out. And then he released this album. And it was all these sort of, you know, activism within the music. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that you know, behind these, all these stories, these complicated um, histories, you know, how race, music, you know, all of this, like, activism sort of had a role to play with each other. Um, so then I got thinking, was actually music at a university level, a lot of it's about playing. Um, I find that the stories were more interesting. So I was talking about, sort of more about the stories, I was going, like, oh, Mr. Wilson, can you tell me more about this artist what was what were they doing you know what were they up to and I was oh you know they were doing this they were studying here oh so and so was in Paris that's why their music has more like French influence or like you know some different chord types and so on and I was oh that's really cool and back then I didn't think that you know the cultural side of history was relevant because all my teachers were like here's the political history here's the you know the the grand narratives but this will get you the grades in like an exam board you don't need to reference, you know, oh, in 1963, so-and-so released an album, so-and-so said this, this book was released. None of that mattered. So I was always like, oh, this is, I don't know, if I go to uni, maybe it'll be different. And I get to know more about the stories. Um, and I think at the time I was applying to Kings and I saw that um, Dan Matlin um, was running a module on jazz. So I thought, oh, that looks really, you know, right on my street. So I thought, this is actually really relevant this is super useful stuff to understanding a society and even though the teachers at my old school were not sort of promoting that as the forefront they were up for talking about it just to not write about it in my essays (laughs) but yeah so graduate for maybe there, there would come a time when I can just talk about you know the social side of things and the stories the little stories that I always find so interesting you know growing up listening to different music or like playing card games even the, the sort of small things that turned out to be so cool that also make history so cool
0: yeah it's like the fun facts yeah and that's I think that's probably been one of my favorite things about studying histories that in class when I was doing readings and I would just find out some little snippet of a fun fact and I just loved that and that was my favorite thing and I would tell my dad on the phone and he would just like oh my gosh really and it's just that's what makes up that's what makes history interesting, I feel. Yeah. But, Simon, did you want to tell us about uni life?
1: Yeah, I was um, just going to mention as an aside that Jason and I met on the open day, didn't you, when you came yeah. to, to King's? And despite seeing me, you still came to King's, which is uh, <laughs> which is, is great. And uh, I think we have, have Dan to thank for that as well. But I think you're one of only two students that I remember... Uh, definitely meeting on open days That have gone all the way through right. So it's, it's really nice to have known you all these All, <laughs> all, all, all these years But um, yeah I was just thinking back to my own Open day experience, I went to The University of Warwick for my undergraduate uh, degree, and we were really impressed on the open day. I remember by uh, the head of department James Hinton, uh, as it was as he was then uh, speaking to us, despite having his leg in a, a in a plaster cast because he's bro- he'd broken it uh, playing sport, I think. But still, he was so committed uh, to <laughs> introduce us to to kind of social and cultural history that was being taught at Warwick, and Warwick was really known for social history at that time. The department had been founded by E. P. Thompson. Um. a famous social historian in the 1960s. Um, And so it was a real kind of um, productive environment for studying the history of everyday people. Uh, So it suited me well, because a bit like Jason, I'd had a school experience that was mainly based on diplomatic and military history political history as well not so much the history of everyday folk Mm. which is certainly what I'm much more interested in now Uh, so off I went to Warwick which is very different to King's because it's a campus university Mm. Um, you could literally wake up 15 minutes before your lecture and still make it there on time because the halls of residence were so close Um, we had some great teachers and tutors there one of them I remember very well Henry Cohn um, now sadly passed away he uh, taught Germany in the age of the Reformation which we all misread as the German Reformation and then were surprised when it was all economic history <laughs> um, and, and so on but he was a wonderful uh, tutor and he was also quite strict in, in ways that I think can be quite productive so for example there are I think only eight or ten of us in the class and one person hadn't shown up and uh, you know he asked the group, you know, where's where's David? And I thought, well, I know where David is because <laughs> I saw him in the Union Bar last night and <laughs> he wasn't looking very well. Uh, and uh, Henry Cohn said, no problem, swang round, picked up his telephone, rang the Hall of Residence where he was uh, based, this student, uh, said, we're all waiting for you uh, past the message on and 10 minutes later in came David in a hastily <laughs> a, assembled tracksuit uh, and, and I tell you what everyone did the reading and everyone was present after that so I, I think that tends to be a bit similar or bit somewhat less strict to my own teaching philosophy which is uh, you know you want people to invest in, 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 in things and then, and then everyone will get more out of it. So I was at Warwick from undergraduate. Um, my special subject was also on the history of America. It was called "From McCarthy to Elvis: America in the 50s, which was which was really good. Um, and then I had a bit of a gap, uh, did some travelling, went to Australia, which became prominent later on in my research interests uh, in, in that time. And then did a uh, master's degree. But please forgive me when I say where at. UCL up the road.
0: <gasps> oh, yeah.
1: um, so I've seen seen both no judgment. Uh, i <laughs> that too so <laughs> So I've seen both departments and that was in modern history. and part of that uh, degree program uh, was a, a research dissertation and for that I followed up my interest in Australia, which had grown from backpacking by heading out to Sydney for a month to research my master's dissertation. Um, and from there the love of Australia really grew and I headed off uh, after a bit more time out to earn money and and travel and so on to Monash University in Melbourne for my PhD and Monash was quite similar to Warwick in that it had also been established at mid-century, also had a strong uh, reputation for social and cultural history and and that's where my, my PhD research was conducted.
0: Well, how come you never wanted to live there permanently? How come you came back to, to London?
1: Well, it's a good question. Um, I think family ties were a, a mm. pull, and also there were many more opportunities for postdoctoral positions in the UK. There was only one real uh, funding outlet of any scale in Australia, the ARC as it's called, whereas here there were many more to apply for. Uh, so some of those factors were. Um, were were in play Uh, but i do i am permanently torn now i do miss australia a lot Mm. and uh i'll be going back there to do some research at uh at christmas time oh that's Uh, exciting um, yeah so uh looking forward to that that'll be the first time in in three years uh so i'll always have kind of uh a bit of me there uh and it's interesting to research and teach australia from so far away Um, while I'm at King's and and I'm also involved of course with the Menzies Australia Institute which is kind of the national centre for Australian studies here at King's and it's interesting to now work with them having studied there Mm. myself so it's a nice kind of transition
0: I'm sure it's going to be lovely in December because it's going to be summer
1: yes that's the time to go you don't want to swap the the four weeks of English summer for their winter (laughs) which is quite cold Um, so no that is definitely the time to go so I shall probably go in between semesters
0: I've never been to Australia before but I think it's like a lot of people have a lot of people have a fascination with it but I think coming from South Africa a lot of people it's almost like similar so now I'm kind of just like oh you know I've got that t-shirt I don't really <laughs> like okay Europe England all of that America not mm. really Australia but I think it would still be lovely to go and the people are very interesting
1: Yeah a lot of South Africans in uh Australia as well mm. and um some of you know speaking about history some of the gold rush migrants traveled from places like San, Fr- San Francisco to Australia then on to South Africa or New wow. Zealand uh, and they kind of had a global tour of mm. uh, gold panning mm. um so there are Lots of interesting historic links as well between between those. Yeah,
0: I find it interesting how the accents are very similar because a lot Mm. of people mistake me for Australian.
1: Ah, it's interesting. Yeah, which I'm like,
0: I don't, I kind of hear it, but then I, I don't know.
1: You wouldn't say barbecue, though, would you?
0: No, I say bry. (laughs) Bry, that's it. Yeah, and they say barbie. Barbie,
1: Barbie, yes.
0: Yeah, so I mean, like b, barbie bry, close.
1: Yeah, Indeed, indeed. Uh, I think, you know, those accents are a legacy of migration patterns mm. historically and intermixing of peoples, aren't they? Uh, but, yeah, I'm not surprised that you often get mixed up in, yeah. in London for being Australian. Mm.
0: And then how come kings?
1: Oh, good question. Well, I was very, very fortunate, actually, because... Um, so our, so my PhD finished in 2008 and as many people listening to this podcast may know but others might not, um, the academic job market is very tight and difficult to uh, kind of navigate with success. So often people have a period of unemployment, scratching around for a, a living. A lot of people sadly leave academia because they can't make ends meet pursuing it. Um, And in my case, it was, quote-unquote, only three years between receiving my PhD and having my first permanent job, uh, which seemed like an eternity at the time. But uh, I I managed to fill that time with uh, working at UCL Library for a while. I had three different research assistantships. I had a part-time postdoc at King's. Um, And it was really the Australian connection that... uh, Allowed me to get a foot in the door at King's. So when the lectureship was advertised, um, uh, which happened because my predecessor uh, moved back to Australia to take a position up at Australian National University, uh, I, I applied, and that I was very fortunate because that was only the second job application for a lectureship that I'd I'd uh, I'd made, and I remember very well the day of the interview and some of the interview questions and you give a job presentation talk for about 20 minutes which I based on my research on young people growing up in in Melbourne and looking ahead to what I might do in the future uh, and then uh, later on I got the phone call to say that I'd got the position if I was still interested and oh, yes <laughs> I, I am actually uh, fairly still interested thanks very much um, I will be taking that and I've been there ever since that was in 2011. Um, but I'm really pleased to work at Kings. It's just such a great department. Really friendly. Um, everyone gets on with everyone else. The students are great. Uh, location is excellent. Um, so you know, I could see myself staying for a very long time at Kings. Um, I, I just think it's a really great department.
0: I think it's been it's been really gra- like gratifying experience coming here, and you're being taught by the best of the best that's like a big difference that was what for like my family because i didn't want to study in south africa i just never saw myself studying there but i was applying to Groningen in the netherlands and when i got accepted at Kings, my dad was like talia these are the these people are like the best of the best in their field so you're not going to be taught by people that don't really care about their job you're being taught about people that love their subject that there's so much passion yeah and i was like you're completely right and that's just what we what we see
1: yeah, and I remember that was one of my answers to a question at my job interview. I think I was asked, "What are the two most important factors for teaching?" You get asked, you'd have no idea what these questions are going to be. And I think, I think I said uh, passion as one of the things, and 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 wisdom. Uh, you know, the ability to to realise that you don't know all the answers and that you're 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 still learning. In fact, the Latin motto of my PhD university, Monash, was "I am still learning." And so, even when you've got your PhD, you're really just still beginning your learning process yeah. and kind of that you know we learn from you as well as you learning mm-hmm. from us and it's yeah. been
2: great to teach you all uh, over over the over the past years no i find that like in our undergrad studies i feel i learn a lot not just from lecturers but also the community around you yeah i don't know whether when you were in undergrads or masters and so on the sort of life that you were living actually you learn a lot more from from that than the um Weekly required readings, and it's often those like off conversation in a pub or yeah. in the library meeting room, or something, and just talking to friends. And yeah. they will be like, "Oh, you know, I have friends who study comparative literature or geography, mm. and then they will say something." I was like, "Oh, I've read that, and and here's what you know I've been told, you yeah. know, in the class, mm. and they're like, oh, in in our you know discipline, we've been talking about this, and then it's really cool in in the university setting that everyone's so passionate about what they want to do." that sort of facilitate those type of level of conversation, those type of understanding of um, topics. And I don't know whether that sort of had... The sort of community at King's has helped you in your mm-hmm. research or if someone said something really interesting to you and was like, oh, never thought about that. Yeah, no, I think I think it
1: really has. Um, academics often speak about research-led teaching, which is where, say, you're researching a book and you also at the same time teach on that subject to help you with the book and, uh, and so okay. on. But there's also teaching-led research and I really think my uh convening of history and memory the second year module has been an example of that so I've sort of become a bit of a public historian by accident by being asked to convene that module now for several years out of which we wrote a kind of textbook uh between us in the department on the subject um and those conversations that you have with colleagues we have you know we've had mentorship programs and um you know, uh, off the cuff conversations as well as research conversations in the department are all really useful. But I guess thinking back to my undergraduate and masters communities, it was the experience of being in a hall of residence in the first year with loads of people doing different subjects mm. that was really, really shaping in that regard. And at masters level, um, we we had quite an active social group as well, and and it, it's really useful to be hanging around with people who are also invested in what they're doing and keen. Um, because you raise each other up mm. and you can, you know, encourage each other, and I think that's so important. Mm. Yeah.
0: Are you, so you're teaching a dissertation module
1: next year? year? Yep. Yes. Yes. Are
0: you, I mean, I think what we were all just really upset when we saw We were like, are you kidding? This, the year that we leave, that's not fair.
1: Well, we can always have you back as a special guest. You can come
0: and, <laughs> come and
1: sit in at the back um, and, 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 and share your thoughts. Um, yeah, this is a subject called Young Lives, growing up in Liverpool, London, Melbourne and Sydney, 1870 to 1970, co-designed with my colleague Alana Harris. Um, and the way that modules run and don't run in, in the department is determined by like things like leave patterns uh and and so on and it's nice to rest modules from time to time because then you return to them with renewed enthusiasm Mm. and, and perhaps new references and things to bring in um and this particular special subject uh is about the history of growing up so it has a life cycles style structure we will meet um children as as babies in in kind of early weeks and by the time the course finishes some of them will be into their late teens and uh, early 20s and will have experienced courtship and work and schooling and uh, housing conditions and uh, thoughts about encountering difference and religion and so on and so on Um, and some of the same characters that reappear in different weeks which is quite nice that um, the students engage with through autobiographical texts and so on and then yes uh, every student on that module will write a dissertation um, based on on the subject either about one particular city or, or or in comparison and some really excellent work has been been produced out of that in the past people have interviewed family members who remember growing up in the 60s for instance or researched comparative play cultures in the 19th century in different cities. We've also had uh, excellent dissertations on the history of Chinese sailors in Liverpool, uh, young, young men who are away from home. Uh, and so on and so on so I'm really looking forward to doing it there's also a field trip to Liverpool with the students the dream would be to take students to Melbourne and Sydney as well and some Australian universities do bring students to Britain just need a lot of funding and a lot of paperwork to be filled out for that and uh, uh, alas the funding isn't, isn't quite there at the moment but maybe one day
0: but the Liverpool thing sounds very exciting and yep. maybe it's during the season you guys can sneak in for a game
1: well it would be uh, a real <laughs> hardship to have to go and watch my favourite team uh, play at Anfield um, uh, and uh, Talia you were right um, in a, another conversation where you asked me well that's interesting why have you picked Liverpool and it's partly because I wanted to find out more about uh, <laughs> the city that hosts the team that I uh, am so often watching so uh, yeah that that is part of the story Subjectivity is important in history.
0: I've been once to Liverpool, and it was a very interesting city. And I know a lot of people are studying there, but I think it's just it'll be a, it'll be a lot of fun. It's very different to London, yeah. But it's going to be really fun to walk around. I think any students that have the opportunity to go must just take it. Yeah,
1: really interesting sectarian history. It's a city with two cathedrals, of course, which is not not that usual. Uh, history of transatlantic connections, um, uh, Chinese presence in the in the city's very long-standing and so on and so on and so on so lots of kind of pioneering child welfare um was performed in that city as well so it is uh it is a, a, a really interesting case study i think
2: it's interesting you sort of use field trips you know i haven't really been on much field trips besides when i take on your modules um but that reminds me of sort of that you were saying earlier in your secondary school when your teacher sort of used more of this, you know, more relaxed way of, of teaching. And do, do you see that sort of field trip and more sort of interaction yeah. as part of the way you
1: teach as well? It's crucial. I think every module it's a good idea to take students for a field trip early on. And it's actually not that important where you go. I mean, it's obviously useful if it's something to do with the course that you're studying. But really, it's so that students can get to know each other mm. better. And then you always find that all the seminars run much better afterwards because people know each other people are a bit more confident about saying things and doing small group work and so on and also you get to find out more about the students as kind of rounded people than you have time to do in mm-hmm. uh in in kind of normal teaching hours and i think that's really significant part of teaching well is treating students as individuals who have lives outside uh, from their studies um, and uh, kind of getting to know people. Uh, it's actually really sad when students leave. You'll all be missed um, because you, you get to know people really well and then um, and then come September, you have to start all over again uh, with the new first years. But yeah. that, that, that's also good. It keeps you young. It's rejuvenating, mm. all this energy and and uh, enthusiasm being brought to the table each year. It's really nice.
0: It's very exciting. I mean, um, I was also, when, when I saw that Daniel Madden was doing... Uh, jazz history I was like as a dissertation module I was like well that's also going to be quite interesting yeah. I mean if you like social history I know a lot of people wouldn't find that interesting at all because they prefer sure, yeah, other, other areas of history but yeah. it's still like so fascinating and I wish I could like do all of them
1: well you could always send an email to him and ask him for the reading (laughs) list because the thing is you can keep reading once you've finished there's nothing to stop you um, you know having a lifelong engagement with history members of my family are always annoyingly telling me about history books that they've read that I haven't had time to and you know and assume I've just read them all uh, because that's what I do but i you know don't have enough time for reading um mm. so it's uh you know uh I'd, I'd always like to have more time but i think what's good about the history department at kings is there is genuinely something for everyone if you like intellectual history we're very strong in that medieval history early modern history um urban history is a is a is a theme we have social and cultural history gender history and so on and so on mm. and most places most regions at least in the world there's someone who you might be able to work with, say, on Latin America or the history of China and so on and so on. And I think that's a real strength and I
2: hope we always keep that. Well, I'll tell you, I've got the the reading list for Dan's module, actually, because I asked him <laughs> for it last year when <laughs> I found out he wasn't running it, so yes. yeah, I could send that to you later.
1: Well, and uh, and he and I are going to head off uh, in August for a night at London's Jazz Experience, a recreation of Harlem in the 1920s. Oh, wow. For research purposes, I mean, we may have to drink a cocktail or two, which will be a real <laughs> a real hardship, of course. Yeah. But um, one of my upcoming projects is researching immersive historical experiences including at living history museums but also uh, things like the Peaky Blinders night that I went to as well um, with with others uh, before Christmas uh, and seeing how the past is represented in these, in these spaces. I, I said to Dan you might find it a painful experience because no doubt 1920s Harlem as depicted will be different from the historical record mm-hmm. but the interest is in the difference and what, pu- what the public take away from it and so mm. on. So uh, That does sound really like a to. lot of fun. Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. Think- I'm hoping there'll be live jazz that's yeah. really quality, of of course, in London. Yeah, because yeah. of course you play as well, Thank you? Yeah, no, yeah. I was, yeah, I was in yeah. a UCL jam a couple of days ago. Really? Yeah. I have to say the standard here at King's is quite a bit higher. Mm. good to hear.
0: Yeah. That's, that's good, that's to, good hear. to know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went to London Jazz Week last year and that was really cool because there are so many... Because I didn't even know about any of the jazz clubs that were around, but it was just all in Soho and there were so many little hidden hidden uh, places and it was so much fun.
2: Yeah, so,
0: joking, I mean, yeah. it's just fun to just get out and go do something.
1: Well, this uh, is the thing with um, coming to study in London. London itself is a huge resource in mm. all sorts of ways. Um, I think personally, I would have found it a bit daunting as an undergraduate because I was from a small kind of market town in the countryside of twenty thousand people, so to go from there <laughs> to here in one step would have been quite an undertaking. So I always really admire undergraduates that do this, and then have to kind of rent on the private market in the second year. Let's say that's that's quite nerve wracking, um, but once you are here and you get to know your way around, it's just everything you could possibly want in this particular city. I mm. think
0: you just have to take advantage of it. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, yeah. especially for like I think all of us didn't we're not from here so Mm -hmm. it was just coming here and it's like oh my gosh there's so much to do so much to see and london's like like new york it's like a city that doesn't sleep so there's always something going on that you can go to and see and a lot of it is free Mm. so just take advantage of that for to anybody listening
2: yeah Yeah. and also find that if so because everyone's kind of new to the city a lot of times you meet someone they've you know they've never been to london they've come here for a day trip or two never really spend that much time so you end up making a lot of new memories sort of together associated with the place as well Mm. and it's often like I remember in the first year even though it was sort of in and out of Covid lockdowns we still take walks from Elephant and Castle to Westminster when it was completely empty and you could not imagine how quiet it was just no one no one in Oxford Street people going for jogs, doing sprint circuits on like you know, 10 a.m. in the morning, no one's going to work, and that's it was like crazy. a London that probably won't be seen ever again. But no. that's something yeah, that was fascinating, nice, not it? That's something that I will probably remember for the rest of my life. Being here and seeing that, and now it's completely unrecognisable. You can't imagine yeah. Oxford Street being empty. It's, it's al- impossible. It's
0: always for me like when you watch a film and then it's deserted, and I'm like, how did they manage to do that? Like, at what time do they have to wake up to go? and film this where London's quiet
1: Yeah, 28 Days Later is a good example of that the Yeah, I think that zombie was Zombie horror film <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: I think I don't remember what the movie was but I remember seeing something where they, they it was walking over over the bridge one of the bridges and it was just, there was nothing there and I'm like, how do they film this? They had to film it like, at like 3 in the morning or something or 5, whatever it was just to try to get the shot That's
1: yeah. it, that's it and walking is such a great way to, to see the city and also to learn about history because, you know going back to history and memory for those maybe listening to the podcast in the first year, um, in in your second year you might well be taking this module and part of it is, um, you know, going on field trips um, that are self-directed and learning about different sites around the city and there's just absolutely you know, there's history absolutely everywhere in this particular space and uh, yeah, I think it's just great to learn how to look for it and to learn how to analyze it is such a great skill that you know the city as a source is a really wonderful thing i think
0: a lot of people forget that they live here and so you need to remind yourself to be a tourist yeah and that you need to see it like you live here like oh whatever you know forget about the museums exhibitions whatever just take advantage of it because it's not here forever and like People people flock here to come see what's just the smallest things.
1: And as you say, so many free things. Like uh, you know, you can use your King's card to get in for free to the permanent exhibition next door to Kings at the mm. Um And a lot of students don't know that. And that's got a world class impressionism uh, collection uh, amongst other things. And you know, just go there on your lunch break and just taking some paintings. It's a really great thing to do.
0: It was so beautiful when we went. That was one of my favourite. That was one of my favourite things. And I loved it when we went because I didn't even know. It.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the,
0: it's the frustrating of like you would go and do something, but you didn't even know that it was available. Mm. So I'm just happy that I managed to do things, especially as a student where it's free. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's it. It's so important to join clubs and societies when you're a student. Mm. We we want everyone to do well academically, but we want you to do things like you've you've been doing. And just as an aside, well done on running the history society this past year because th- it has been the best it's ever been in my time
0: oh, okay. uh,
1: get so, in so well done everyone thanks Jason you've had such a well, well done, such a, a excellent suite of activities and, and things that you've been doing um, but you know doing things like that or student radio or, or debating societies and sport and so on so important and, and a release from your studies um when, when i was at warwick i was in a few societies but the most memorable was probably the skydiving society
0: what? um
1: which involved going out to fields in nottinghamshire early on sunday mornings and hoping that the weather was going to be right and uh learning how to solo skydive was pretty pretty fun and a oh, big. big release from worrying about essays <laughs> um and uh yeah i remember the first time very well because um The plane was so small that sitting in the plane, my feet were actually out the door. Um, And the guy next to me said, uh, "Is this your is this your first time jumping?" And I said, "Yeah, it will be." I said, "How about you?" And he said, "It's my first time in a plane." so his his first trip he took off and then made his own way back um, by jumping out Um, so yeah I think you know taking uh, it's just the sort of thing you probably wouldn't do otherwise um, unless you're on a backpacking year or something Um, and uh, yeah I played football and um, yeah they were generally kind of physical type activities um, rather than intellectual ones in my case because I wanted a break from Mm, studies uh, but uh, you know
2: so many things you can do. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Tyler, you're in the football team, right? The yeah, GKT. The GKT. Shout out GKT Ooh. football team, who the, won the league. This yeah, year? we won the
0: league, Congrats. which was Congratulations. very happy about that. Yeah, but yeah I mean I might join the alumni team mm. but my flatmate she's still a second year so she's going into 30 and she's still on the team so I'm definitely going to go to matches maybe if they need a sub I'll stay on the side nobody will know nobody will <laughs> know <that,
1: right>? super <laughs> sub comes on yeah
0: Mariam did hockey ah, so it's just fun okay. that, like okay. it's a it's a good way to meet other people like if I didn't play football I wouldn't have met any of the people because mm. not n- like I don't think any of them studied history except for the one girl who does history in Spanish and I never shared a class with her
1: yeah It's It's really important to meet people from outside your subject area as well as those within Mm. it. I think that's really, uh, really healthy to do that. Actually,
0: yeah. It's nice to reflect on everything now. I mean, we're done. Yeah, we've handed in our dissertation. We've done our exams, and now we await the results, which is a bit daunting. But it was
2: it was like a weird experience because we had the same. Talia and I had the same last exam, and then we were done in the marium as well. In the exam, well, we did it in the library. And then afterwards, it was just that sort of weird. It wasn't quite relief, but not knowing what to do next yeah. was the yeah. biggest sort of. Sort of, I was saying it to my friends like the post-degree blues. Yeah, so do, yeah. not knowing what yeah. to do, yeah. waking up, yeah. it's like, "Well, I've, I haven't got any readings. Hmm. I've There's got no deadlines. <laughs> I'm waiting for like two, three months until yeah. you know yeah. I'd have taken on jobs or a masters. But what? What now? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, I thought. I thought you know. It's just time to go go back to the reading list that I'd write, written down throughout the, the whole degree when I didn't have the time to read or places I wanted to see before that I didn't get to. But there's definitely a, a miss that every day coming in to see everyone mm-hmm. and just know that there was always someone going to be in the history department. There's going to be someone just walking around in Strand. Yeah. Knowing someone be doing something. I'll just be like, hey, what are you doing? Do you fancy sort of doing something together or just hanging out? Whereas well, it's difficult... Once you're out of that uni circle, I feel that that immediate sort of. I don't know what is it's comfort of knowing that there's an everyday pattern mm. that you're following, all of a sudden you're out of the pattern and you really need to make the effort to maintain yeah. those connections with people. And still, society is one of the best way. That's why we're still here. And we were, you know, we were playing football on Saturday in the Royal Holloway.
0: Yeah, we went to Royal Holloway uh, this past weekend and it was so much fun, but it was so hot. It was
2: boring. Oh, yes. it, was boring. it was awful,
0: sure. but the campus was beautiful. I've never yeah. I've never seen something like that I felt like I was in Hogwarts
1: that is a nice campus that one yeah yeah. yeah. I've been there to examine a, a, a PhD and it has an interesting history that uh, college as well um, and uh, yeah no it's great to go and, go and see and of course part of being in London is the intercollegiate system so sometimes I've taught Royal Holloway st- uh, students who come on to the Australia course or Whatever it might be, and uh, and vice versa, our King students have gone to UCL and Queen Mary and so on to take options. And that's another good reason of, for being at one of the London universities. Mm-hmm. I think.
0: Are you going to be uh, doing any PhDs this year?
1: Um, in terms of supervising or yeah. examining, uh, both. Ah, both. So I've a- well, I've actually examined three uh, so far this year. Um, uh, the candidates don't know the outcomes yet in one case, so uh, I can only talk vaguely about it, but it will be very good news when they get their um, <laughs> when they get their twelve page report back. I think wow. that's, yeah sure. hundred thousand words it needs uh, it needs a lengthy old report. Wow. Um, so they've been on the history of childhood and urban history Um, they've all been Australian PhDs this this year, but in terms of supervising PhD students, yes I have a number Uh, so for example Jasper, he's working on the overseas reactions to Australian delinquent youth in the late 19th and early 20th centuries Uh, Emma, she's working on the history of mother and baby homes in post-war England these were places where unmarried women went to Uh, and are often coerced to go to give birth and then sometimes give up their children Um, then I've got Sheridan she's writing a screenplay based on an indigenous character who comes to London from Australia and also a a kind of historical justification of that Matt, he is currently in Australia I just spoke to him this morning Uh, he's researching indigenous mobilities Mm -hmm. so how indigenous people moved around the reserve system in Australia and contested it Um, then there's Honour, she is a second uh, so you're either a first supervisor or a second supervisor Um, and I'm second supervisor for her project on 1970s working class feminism with Alana Harris as the lead Um, there's Ross who's in the English department he's writing uh, about literary 18th century depictions of Indigenous uh, people. I hope I've not forgotten anyone. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> no, okay. I, so I'm I'm kept busy with PhD supervisions, and then I've got um, masters supervisions over the summer as well. So some great topics there. Just uh, just before this, spoke to Jack, who's working on Victorian pubs and how they were regulated. Uh, and also experienced by by drinkers and codes of respectability that pertain to them Um, he's enjoying going around
0: the fun field trips
1: (laughs) London pubs to see how they've changed Um, so that's been that's been good to hear Um, and then Akari a Japanese student she's working on women's Uh, Fashion in the roaring 20s, um, and particularly the use and adoption of of trouser suits by women for cocktail parties and other social occasions. I could go on, but yeah, there are (laughs) so we're kind of kept busy. It's interesting, students often think that we uh, sort of um, well, maybe not students, but the public thinks that academics have these like long holidays. But um, it's the summer when we try and get our own research done, and uh, and, but we also supervise. so, So this summer, I'll be writing um, a piece on the concept of slow history, for example, uh, which takes in research and teaching and and collegiality and and sort of offers um, some suggestions for for how to be more ethical and deliberative in being a historian, um, and also something on the concept of experience. And then come the Christmas period, I'll be researching children's oral histories in Australia. So Nice to have lots of different projects on the go at the same time, and and by then, of course, I'll have a whole batch of new students, hopefully enjoying their modules next year. I just have
2: that's a question. Really impressive. Um, can you hear me? Yeah.
0: Um, I just wanted to ask, what do you? How do you decide what you want to research?
1: Oh, that's a great research. question. Um, it's sometimes a process of serendipity. So, um, either people suggesting collaborations or things that really intrigue me as a scholar Um, and so following one's own interests to an extent um, the areas I work in are generally kind of urban history, history of childhood and youth, Australian history and history and memory so they often pertain to one or more of those areas, the things that I research but what's so great about being an academic is you're not being asked say to write what might be quite a dull business report on something you are writing about something you're really genuinely interested in um, and there is some forms of pressure about how quickly to do it but on the other hand you're also encouraged to make it as good as you possibly can so um, things that might intrigue me uh, that I say read about and think oh I'd like to know more about that that can be one way into things or also perhaps coming across a whole body of sources that hasn't really been been used or used in this particular way before that can be another a productive way into a particular subject, but but chance is a big part of it as well. Um, allowing you know yourself to have an open mind and and see what comes to
2: you. I feel it's like similar to when we did our dissertations. Like mm. I I was sort of in second year, going to third years, didn't know what I was going to write mine about, and then just chance had it that I was going home or was planning to go home. I was thought, like, ah it will make it really different to everyone else if I can use some sources from Hong Kong. Mm. So then I was initially going to write about civil like civil rights in America um, or some other things that weren't based in Hong Kong or East Asia or anything to do with China. And then I thought, well, I can use my language skills and all of this. Mm. That might, you know, give me a good grade. But also it would be really interesting to me to write about and I don't know whether that would, you know, lead on to more things in the sort of masters or so on. But I think it was like you were saying, it's a sort of chance that I was talking to this about my mum and dad. And then was, wasn't talking about my degree specifically, but was just because we we're moving houses. And then my mum was just talking about her experience. It's like, oh, I love this place here because I used to grow up here. And this is the place I remember my great grandma. So sort of, she had a farm over there and then she was pointing at these places. All I see is like a sports field now because i would never been there in that time in sort of the 70s and late 80s into that sort of period. And then I was just like, I don't get this. But I wanted to get it because it was my mum. It was so, you know, important to her. Mm. And so I wanted to do some research. And I thought, well, sometimes I feel like a lot of people like to go to archives for their research. But I thought no archives is going to give me this answer so I need to talk to my mum I need to talk to my mum talk to my family so it was a way for me to connect with my family being, you know being away in London for for three years because of COVID didn't get to go home and so the history project in a way was more like a family project and it was also like a personal project almost like for me to reconnect with my own family history the the history of Hong Kong the people that I sort of feel like are families in the wider sense as well, the wider communities. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's that's what's so fascinating about history that, like you were saying, it's different to like a dull business report. Like, it wouldn't really make me feel as, you know, excited if I was to write about how much revenue was being created from sort of the regeneration of that area since when my great-grandma lived there. That doesn't really fascinate me. That's really boring and dry. (laughs) But... How has that place changed and then changed the people's relation with it? And how do they remember it? Now, that is way more cool than me. Yeah. So I feel like, and, and, you know, the department being so open-minded to say, yeah, no, this is really cool. You should do this. Rather than if, like, going back to my secondary school day saying, this is not proper history, air right. quotes. This is not proper. What is that got to do with you know China's role in the international politics scene or you know historical role? Has that got anything to do with Maoism? Got anything to do with Cultural Revolution? It's like well fately. but that's not the most important thing. Mm. And but going back to the whole project, it had quite a role to do with it, but not so obvious at first. So it's interesting how like looking at things that on the surface level didn't had much relationship to do with like see bigger questions, bigger topics at the end lead me back to a more specific and different answer into this sort of big spectrum sort of on you know historicity and all these bigger questions about you know agency um, and anti- like colonialism and decolonization of mm-hmm. history and it's so interesting how that all came from just a conversation with my mum Yeah. and how organic that felt and how, you know, history allowed me to do these things and didn't have to feel like I was asking the inappropriate question.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's interesting now that we we sometimes forget about how our parents experience history. Like my dad experienced apartheid. He was in the frontline states in Angola and Namibia as a soldier. And it's like he's been through a war. He had to he had to go, otherwise he would have gone to prison. And but then we also have experienced history, like we've experienced COVID, people are going to be studying us and it's like we've lived through it, okay, the perspective of the students, the youth. How did the youth feel about it? You know. Mariam and I we were at home. We didn't come, we didn't experience a first year. So and then you experienced yeah you Jason, you experienced mm-hmm. it here, but it was deserted. Yeah. So that's sometimes that we forget that we are living through history and that our family has been a part of it too.
2: Yeah. And I think undoubtedly, like our own experience informed the way we write too. Mm. sort of that Mm. those COVID times has definitely made, I don't know about everyone else, but say for myself, more, I don't know, paid more attention to little things because I had so much time. I was just in the flat all day. (laughs) I could always pay attention to the way people moved around the city the people who had had to go around, because I was just in, in my flat, I was looking out the window the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> so I was paying attention to, oh, what time did people wake up? When did the streets start becoming busy? Where were the busier mm. corners? And those were then later, later become really important skills in doing research and field works, seeing what type of things were interesting to me, what type of people were doing certain things. Yeah. Those were interesting things that, I don't know would I had the chance if I'd just gone into, you know, freshers, you know, doing what freshers normally do, which is going out a lot, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. partying. But instead, I had that really calm first year to really get settled into London. And I think yeah. that was quite special. Mm. I don't know what other people have that chance now because everything is going on and like, you know, everything is so crazy all the time. Mm. <laughs> and you don't really get the time to really sit down and just take everything in for that for mm. that moment. So I feel like, yeah, mm. everything changes the way we see things too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I think we've got to wrap up, but Simon, do you have any final thoughts, anything you'd like to say?
1: No, well, um, just to wish everyone listening to this uh, a happy summer. Uh, and if you're back with us next year in the History Department at King's, we look forward to seeing you. And if if you're um, leaving us this year, do keep in touch through our alumni network and we, we have events. You're always welcome to come. Um, we love having former students back to speak to current students about how they did their dissertations and so on. So um, keep eye on those emails. You never know, you might Thanks. get called upon. Um, and in all seriousness, we'd love to keep in touch with you all. And, and it's always nice to just drop your lecture as a note, you know, when you get your first job or whatever it might be because we always kind of wonder what happened next Mm -mm. and and in many cases we don't find out so Mm. it would be really really nice to know that would you like to promote your new book as well Oh, thank you, Jason. Well, um, yeah, I can. And it's great because it's free to read as well. So this is um, A Cultural History of Youth in the Modern Age, which was published by Bloomsbury, uh, both in hard copy and online. And is about the period from 1920 to 2020. So it takes in just towards the end things like uh, the climate crisis and, uh, and the COVID pandemic. Um, and is a kind of global history of young people and the category of youth as well um and thanks to a government grant that we got uh from the canadian government in fact uh it's it's free to download as a pdf and had over a thousand downloads so far which is great um and uh, yeah that that's that's out and available for anyone who might be interested
0: okay that's very exciting all the best i'm i might make my dad read that and myself too Excellent. but otherwise thanks for today thanks to our special guests and for any of the listeners this is going to be the last podcast for the year so the next time you see a podcast from king's history society that's going to be with the new coordinators and good luck to them all the best but yeah thank you so much for joining us this year it's been a beautiful journey and i've enjoyed it every second and i'm sure fion wishes that she could be here to to say that she's also very grateful for the opportunity that we've had so thank you so much guys and chat soon